Welcome back, everyone, to the Rogue Retro Smackdown Review. I'm one of your regular hosts, Scott McLeod. And as I was last week, I am once again joined by my nemesis, Nathan Greenaway. <laughs> Hello, nemesis. How are you? I am doing very well. We're here for the 28th of October episode of Smackdown, which I noted down in my notes as the DX show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I called it uh, Road Dog in a Bear Trap. For my notes. <laughs> because this is very much what it is like DX is all over the stuff that's madness we'll get into uh, but uh, for most of the stuff that I'm going to talk about on Raw there's only one or two bits I'll talk about right now because most of it is, unlike last week is actually continued through Smackdown so I can always like, relate back and forth as we go along but there is one or two things I want to mention first off one storyline that wasn't mentioned on Smackdown was the women's championship and uh, ding dong the rain is dead as Fabulous Miller is finally no longer the WF women's champion uh, she came out on Raw for a nine ring interview with, along with Mae Young and was interviewed by Michael Cole about her rain and she's decided to retire and vacate the title she thinks it, she thought it was the right thing to do her and Mae have apparently patched things up I don't know why they ever fell out in the first place but well, it sounds, it was obviously, it's a reign that we regularly talk about as one of, like, wrestling's greatest uh, championship reigns. <laughs> I think we can all agree it's always at the tippy top of the list. Uh, I'm sad to see it's over. Now, has she retired for good? Hey, I don't think she has retired for good. I think we will see her again, but she doesn't get to, ch- to retire just yet as Ivory comes out and basically says that she's not giving it up that easily. And Ivory has a rematch, and basically she just wants an opportunity to get some revenge on Miller. So she just attacks Miller and me. A referee randomly appears, so officially the ma- a match happens. The bell rings, despite the fact neither woman, especially Miller, are dressed to wrestle. And the weirdest looking knockdown I've ever seen. Ivory pins Miller in a pin that is very reminiscent of when Stein was forced to keep Jeff Hardy's shoulders down at Victory Road 2011. <laughs> And was, it one of, was it one of those ones where um, she kicked out straight after the three to try and keep herself looking strong, brother? brother? Like she, she was constantly flailing around. She looked like she could probably gotten her, have gotten her shoulder up. And uh, Mae Young was may try and run in and maybe like be too late to uh, get the cover. But I think she was a bit too quick as they're right next to the ropes. May's on the apron. She steps through the ropes and then she realizes it's at two. So she just has to kind of stand there while Ivory gets the three. <laughs> <laughs> so perfect execution mm-hmm. so at least we can take the one positive that Ivory has the women's championship again she never should have lost it in the first place but at least she's got it back was Ivory um, is it Ivory who was one of the original Glow Girls yeah oh, Okay. I always get confused between it, whether it was her or Molly Holly for some reason no it was uh, Ivory Oh, so at least they got it on someone who can actually actually wrestle. So Ivory was probably really unlucky to be in kind of the time that she was in terms of wrestling ability. I'm sure she had a fantastic time and she had a great career. But yes. I feel like she probably would fit in really well today in any company. Because mm-hmm. I was saying to Carl that basically her whole thing is she wouldn't do the yeah, same stuff the likes of a Deborah or Terry Rounds would do, or even the cat. 
So basically her gimmick is then you're a prude, which makes you a heel in this time period. That's the only reason she was a heel. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, now, I mentioned uh, DX being all over SmackDown. Now, I know it's a major kind of shift from the last episode because DX was nowhere to be seen last week. You know, I know we had that. It wasn't that next book. Basically, it hasn't been able to let the DX thing die even when he wasn't a part of it. But, you know, when I heard the DX managed to get back together within the week, and I'll tell you, because the major angle on Raw that you need to talk about before we get into SmackDown was uh, the show opening with the Outlaws basically wanting a rematch against the Hollies. But McMahon says that they've already got a he's, they've already got a title defense against Edge and Christian, which we'll talk about later on. Uh, they can't get the Rock and Salt because Mankind has also been picked in a match. So Triple H basically suggested Vince, why don't you put them against the Rock in Austin? So the main event is The Rock and Stone Cold against uh, the New Age Outlaws. And throughout the show, they kind of tease, oh, can The Rock and Austin get along? And Steve Austin basically says, if The Rock just stays out of the way and tags in when he needs to, we'll get along just fine. And they actually get they actually work better as a team than you'd, uh, than you'd imagine. I think because Austin is injured, I think you'd expect he'd be the one to stand out in the apron, let The Rock do most of the offense, and then get like a hot tag, do a few moves that he can still do. But in actual fact, uh, there's a point where Road all low bridges Austin. Austin goes tumbling over uh, the ropes to the outside, and Austin basically is the one that gets worked over by the outlaws for most of the match before getting the hot tag into Rock. Uh, someone has a sign in the front row saying, uh, Rock fears Hoovented. reference to Hoovented Guerrero doing the juice gimmick, which was basically a rip-off of the Rock. Jesus. Talk about like I I liked uh, Heavy and he was fabulous in the ring, but putting him on rock level and it's then, delusion of the greatest. You you think that Triple H is going to do his usual and get involved? That in we're going to get to see another role like we did, like the last couple of episodes. So you like build to the triple threat, but Austin manages to grab Triple H's leg before he can get in the ring, and it looks like uh, Triple H's interference has been thwarted and. Rock looks set up to take out Billy Gunn, but referee's distracted with Road Dog, which allows X Fox to sneak in. He hits a spin kick on the Rock and cover, and the Outlaws get the win. Uh, Austin notices the cover, but he's too late to get back to the ring in time. And then the Outlaws, X Fox, and Triple H beat down Rock and uh, Austin as Raw goes off air, and they pull out these brand new DX T-shirts that they all put on, and. Uh, Something I think is important to note is I think they realised that they were running out of airtime when they did this because at the start of the tag match they said, well, we're doing a lot, we've taken our last commercial break, so we're going to stay with this match until its conclusion. And I think when they were doing the beatdown, they realised they only had a few seconds left of airtime because the guys are putting their shirts on very quickly. The last move of the beatdown is a jackhammer from Billy Gunn on the rock, but as Billy's lifting him up, DX music's hit because I think they realise they're a better go-off air, so they need to play the music. So he hits the move as the DX is playing, and they all quickly get up on the apron, just as the show fades to black. <laughs> yeah, that must be... It must be so hard to time things at mm-hmm. the end of the show, because obviously you can't make things late, and presumably they would have just cut them off. Mm-hmm. And I've been like, right, because like the TV network I'm talking about here, would have just cut them off, so that must be a pain in the bum, but... Thankfully, someone presumed. Usually, you can see one of the referees, like um, 
wave at someone or something and be like, hey, 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 hard cam, hard cam, or something <laughs> like that when someone's in the wrong position or they need to get something done. So at least they got that new merch out. Yeah. That's the important thing. It's always it's always fun in the world of wrestling. Um, and this goes for all companies. This isn't just WWE thing, where a group magically reforms on the night and then they produce a new T-shirt by like the end of the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just like one of those weird, one of those weird things that always seems to seems to happen to merchandise people. They must have like a crystal ball or something. Yeah, I mean, if they came out, they just got back together and then had their new shirts on SmackDown. At least they've had three days to put their order in and get someone to make it for them. Yeah, so exactly. they had to, to have them on the night. I get what you're saying. <laughs> it's just one of those weird wrestling things that you just have to suspend your disbelief a bit and not, they, think, like, not think about. When the Shield got back together on an episode of Raw and the first hour, and then by year or two, they had a new t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, they've got a one-hour tease. Uh, <laughs> OneHourTease.com, I think it's called. And then, uh, so maybe they just got a, drew up a new design, chucked it in by hour two. It's already there. Okay. So, obviously, <laughs> we're left with some unanswered question wondering, like, well, how is DX back together? So DX opened the show. Weirdly, I thought of it as, like, the idea of China separating from Triple H. There's no real explanation yet as to why China didn't get back with DX. Like, other than Rick Cruiser, I think, when his time passes away, uh, there's no re- she's the only real member of DX that didn't get back together, one of the original members that didn't get back with them, because obviously Sean's out, Rude, uh, I think, passes away when this time, and China's just randomly on her own. Like, I think still using Trouble H's music, though, but yeah, that is- not with DX. That is really weird, and I don't know what the backstage real-life situation was, but you're right. In storyline sense, it makes no sense, because if she returned with them, she's the intercontinental champion at this point. Like, surely that's a show of power for DX if they've got one of the belts, because they've got not... Um, sorry, Triple H is the WWF champion, sorry. Um, they, but they don't have any of the other... Like, they don't have the tag belts or the intercontinental title or the European championship or the Hardcore Championship. So it seems weird. And also China is so iconic with DX. Mm-hmm. Like that's what she's uh, best known. Like obviously she's perhaps best known for breaking barriers for women in wrestling. Um, but in kind of storyline sense, she's best known for her time with DX. So it does seem weird. Presumably something dodgy was going on <laughs> behind but the given, scenes. Given all the stories, like... And uh, Triple H and Stephanie Gaylor is an on-screen kayfabe couple. Like China and Triple H are still together. I think throughout late '99 and the 2000s, they're still together. I think there is some overlap between Triple H and Stephanie getting together, and China and Triple H breaking up. Like, and obviously that happens around. But I think allegedly end of 2000, 2001, which coincides with China leaving. So they are still Triple H and China are still together. I think it's just the same as made maybe China is better off on her own because this is a new heel DX and if China's maybe stand up for women by being the ice champion, having her as a heel, maybe they thought it didn't make much sense. Yeah, yeah, there is from the stories there is some, as you said, overlap in terms of the personal life. Uh, but you're right, it just doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't sit right. I feel like people watching at the time would have also asked a question like where's china then 
Mm. Or maybe they would have just presumed because she's still got Triple H's music that it is still going because she's still using the pedigree as a finisher as well. Mm-hmm. So it's all just, it's all a bit strange. But maybe she joins them down the line. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, they don't really answer why they're back together. They just say that they're back together again and that they're taking over the show. And you really, you think of it, you, look, you read the, through the lines, you think you're really only here because Triple H needs backup. Yeah, you're only here because Triple H perhaps isn't drawing well as a champion. Mm-hmm. So they need to DX a little bit of bump, a bump in the ratings and a bump in interest for Triple H. Because this is still the period where they're trying to build Triple H as a star, like as a legitimate main event, which is weird to say in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, But he's still doesn't seem like he's perceived to be as big a threat as The Rock and Austin and even Mankind. But um, I think there's, well, in a few in a few months' time, on this timeline, you're going to get to a couple of pay-per-view matches that kind of solidify him as what he is going to become as a big-time main eventer. So you'll get to those, and everyone will enjoy listening along. I <laughs> well. I think it is good in the aspect that they got back together because... They'd only been broken up for a few months, but they didn't have a proper blow-off like breakup. It just seemed to be like training Triple H left to join the corporation. Next part was doing his own thing, and it was a case of more the DX first one kind of peered out rather than a big massive angle. So I think maybe get getting them back together so hopefully they can have a better like breakup when they eventually all go their separate ways again. Like the idea of them like because there wasn't really a proper conclusion to the DX story. And do you think at this point? in the timeline of Triple H. Do you think he's still in Shawn Michaels' shadow? I think... Because Shawn Michaels was appearing quite a bit as a commissioner up until a few months prior. Like, he was on the first like, proper episodes as like the referee, but then there was no follow-up to that. So I think, in a, some ways, he maybe is. Because basically, the part of the thing is he only really became leader of DX because Shawn had to leave. <laughs> We're only kind of a year and a half removed from Shawn Michaels leaving after the Austin match. And it kind of seem it still just feels like Triple H isn't quite what this is not the cerebral assassin yet. Look at how these guys like Vernon DX is acting and the way they dress. Like, I look them like you all look like the main shock and his group of pals in any like high school like, or college movie. Like the way they're all dressed, and like you think, well, these guys don't look old enough to be in high school. Neither do the mo- neither do most actors in high school films. Like you watch any film set in high school, <laughs> pretty much the entire cast is usually in their mid twenties. But <laughs> it is weird because it's weird because Billy Gunn is he's older than Triple H, isn't he? I think so. Uh, and it's weird to just see such like a huge man calling himself Mr. Ass wearing a choker. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Like, I, I love it. I think Billy Gunn is great. And, uh, he, I don't know. I don't know what he was missing to not become a bigger star than he was. But I'm, I'm sure JR, that's a question for Jim Ross probably. But, um, like it is, it is weird, and the road dog gimmick seems to. I don't know what you think at this point. It seems to have run its course. Yeah, I mean, it's still getting a reaction, so I think 
yeah, maybe that's unfair, but it just seems like it's kind of uh, it's kind of been and gone almost. Mm. I mean, there's not actually much to talk about in this program. They all get a chance on the mic. Xbox teases that there might be a new member later on in the show. Uh, Billy Gunn wants a match with Austin. Road Dog seems to call it The Rock, but I've no idea. I know it's the way he talks about it. It makes it seem like he really wants to fuck The Rock. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, there's so much mention of ass on yeah, this, it on this show. And all that. Yeah, and it's not just Road Dog or Billy Gunn. It's like every wrestler in the late 90s, they had a list of words that they could say and a list of words that they couldn't say on the network. And everyone decided it was going to be bitch and ass. Like it's so it's so weird. It still happens today, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think I definitely think Road Dog uh, ha- had a bit of a hard on for the Rock. I mean, a bit of a spoiler here. These they're promising you basically these matches like Road Dog v Rock and Billy Gunn v Austin. They're not going to happen on this show. They don't end up happening. <laughs> Yeah, that slightly bugged me a little bit when I I realised fairly soon after when uh, a kidnapping takes place that, oh, we're not going to get this, are we? (laughs) Because I was kind of looking forward. I was like, the road dog v. the rock. Yeah, that could be a pretty... That's a pretty good... That's a stacked main event. Mm -hmm. That's that's pretty damn good. But, yeah, as you say, it doesn't end up happening. Uh, They call it Vince, basically, warning Vince that they make the rules from now on. Uh, Vince awkwardly yells "suck it" at them, and it really this promo really didn't accomplish anything other than "oh look, DX are back." Yeah, I mean, which Vince promo, which Vince Triple H promo do you think was worse, this one or the one from uh, Triple H's SmackDown celebration? Uh, I actually don't think I've watched that part. I only watched the Michaels bit, so. Oh, he was very. He he looked like a very. He looked like a doddering old man who'd accidentally stumbled onto a stage. <laughs> <laughs> but but oh well. But yeah, it was weird. Vince getting a face reaction as well, mm-hmm. and a pretty good one. Like when he did the suck it thing, although it sounded weird. Um, like everyone was super into it. The whole crowd were. Uh, jammed like completely going nuts for these shows and it was the same in last week's show not everything was necessarily good but mm-hmm. it's really helped along by the fact the crowd are just eating up every word every wrestler has to say mm-hmm. at every point in the show he did very much seem like a dad just like yeah on socket because he he's heard his kids and these kids spells talking about what's cool nowadays yeah, do you remember when do you remember when Kurt Angle was in the Shield, and when they <laughs> when they made their entrance at TLC, I want to say 2017, and he was just like beaming from ear to ear while Seth and uh, and the now John Moxley looked super serious. Kurt Angle was like, "Yeah, I'm cool." <laughs> like, <laughs> it was weird. So we move on to that to before we explain what this next match is, we need to talk about what happened on Raw when the Hollies defended their tag team titles against Ed and Christian. For a reason that I didn't remember happened, the Hollies have been really fighting champions so far because they won them on the last Monday, defended the titles against the Hardys on SmackDown, and then the following Monday they're fighting Ed and Christian and what was a decent match. Uh, Ed gets the spear, and it looks like for a second Ed and Christian might win 
and for a DQ is caused by the debuting uh, Too Cool, which was weird to see that this is how Too Cool like make their appearance on the same line. Yeah, this was really strange to see because I I, I remember they would what were they too. We were called uh, too, too much before they were a heel team for a while in '88. Too much for a while. Yeah, because Too Cool are obviously massively remembered for their time with Rikishi, uh, doing the dancing, and kind of being that incredible opening act with the big, with the music and everything, and putting on some decent matches. But seeing them as heels was mm. strange because I didn't really remember them as heels at all. Yeah, but it worked. People were super were uh, booing the shit out of them. Mm. I think, but this match was very boring for one reason. Uh, so yeah, we'll say that this leads to two cool getting a match with Edin Christian with the, with Parker Holly on commentary. But before we talk about your dislike of Parker Holly, I want to say that it's weird that also they're not calling them Grandmaster Sexy and Scott Hoy. They're calling them Scott. Scott, too haughty Taylor, and uh, too sexy Brian Christopher, something like that, and it's just weird. I think they're the gimmick of too cool is basically what would happen if the song "Pretty Fly for a White Guy" got sentient. <laughs> that is that is very very true, but it ends up working. But I don't necessarily. This isn't it, and they obviously hopefully realise that. They must realise that fairly quickly because uh, I. I- Remember Five. certain moments coming up. Uh, but, I mean, this match was pretty good. For mm. what it was, I think Brian, Christi- Brian Christopher's uh, shriek is super annoying and super healy, so it works. Uh, obviously, Edge and Christian are. That's right, they were facing Edge and Christian, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Edge and Christian, are obviously awesome. Didn't expect the result but it happened kind of in the way that it should have happened, which is um, uh, Brian Christopher using Crash Holly's scales yeah. as a weapon to get the win. The only thing is, and we'll get... this. Can I start on the commentary? Uh, well, we'll hold off a second. <laughs> I'll talk about the match itself. I do agree that they had to realise it soon because uh, two people have a really like, noteworthy moment in the Rumble in a couple months, so at least by then... They realise that there's something here, especially when they get with Keisha. But I think because when they were, when they were too much, they were really good at being annoying heels. They thought that they that's why they probably redebuted them as heels. I remember when they were too much. The most noteworthy moment was having a tag match with Bright with uh, Al Snow and Head, and they pinned Head by putting a <laughs> ball of Head shoulders underneath him. That was a Jerry Lola, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, and but there was like some some elements of two cool of the two cool that we know, uh, quite that we know and love now were there because Scotty, uh, Scotty Taylor as he is now even did the worm at one point, which Michael Cole completely buries like oh yeah that was a day like five years ago, fast forward <laughs> yeah. a year and it ends up being like, yeah if he end, if he did that today well he literally did it on the first ever NXT takeover. Like in 2014, and everyone was like, W, oh, like, it's weird that, I think it was Mick Foley who said it about Mr. Socko, and he was like, I did death matches, got thrown off to hell in a cell, and had had, had bloody street fights, but I was never more over than when I put a sock on my hand. 
<laughs> and it's like the same as Scotty Taylor with the worm almost. I know. What, what is your do? You admire Crash Holly because it's very hard to be discreet when you're interfering in a match, but you're carrying these huge scales to hit someone with. So how do you manage to do that behind the ref back and the ref not noticing? Uh, credit to Crash Holly for that. Yeah, all the credit in the world. He must. He he obviously should have been a ninja in a former life. But um, but God, his partner, Jesus, when, <laughs> like something when you've got Crash Holly, wonderfully charismatic, uh, a great wrestler would go on to do amazing things with the twenty four seven ruled hardcore rules hardcore title, and then you got Hardcore Holly, who is a great wrestler, looks the part, is obviously hard as fuck, but has no charisma. Like he's got nothing about him, and you're making him do the commentary whilst Crash just sits there and nodding, and he's so boring. Like he's making this match between, quite frankly, between four stellar workers, like absolutely brilliant wrestlers. You've also got two world champions as a tag team in there, and he's making it sound like he's in the fucking library. <laughs> like he's, there's no excitement there, and you can hear Michael Cole asking him questions that you would uh, that it ask and he's like gone he's like just sat there like um you know we're just great we're super heavyweights <laughs> it's just oh it was it was bad mm-hmm. it was bad and i don't i don't hate hardcore hardcore holly i think he's good i think his street i think his street fight on an episode of ecw with rob van dam in like 2006 i think it was really good and uh, he's had a couple of matches that i really like but he's just so boring when he speaks yeah I don't I surely shouldn't have high expectations when he's on commentary but it is good that Tuchel got the win given that they've just re-debuted and it's strange you've got the Hollies Edge and Christian Tuchel and the Hollies all this like obviously intertwined with each other it's almost as if we're building to a pay-per-view that is centred around multi-man matches it's weird isn't it how this always seems to happen but I mean, you've got some, you've got a stacked tag team division. Mm-hmm. Um, We're really yeah. seeing what, what what will become the division, the really the foundation. Of what will become like the division in like the next year or so is taking form here. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. And you've got some hall of hall, literal, literal hall of fame uh, talent right there, and it's weird to see them kind of at the start of their evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next couple of segments go by very quickly backstage. That I've, I've I've tied them together in just a few lines that I'll read to you now. Big Show feels that Bessie leaves the building. Mark Henry is shagged out. Yes, uh, to it's one of those. Now, when you just hear that out of context, one of those is a terrible storyline, <laughs> and it's not the one you think. <laughs> like, uh, but kind of it kind of goes against everything that i was saying last week about kind of the mark henry storyline where it's like oh it's not like i know it's a bit tasteless but on this episode it's completely shit (laughs) like because it's just making fun of fat people like for about 10 minutes but big show um thinks it's best he leaves the building because because of what happened on a hit on Raw, the other watch got smashed on an anvil. Yeah, so Big Show is, is taking on Prince Albert in a match, and uh, Albert basically tries to remind Big Show that 
uh, he's not the boss man, so like, is like, and they have this match. It's not really much to write home, but I think Bishop does an insecurity at one point, or he does something really impressive, like kick wise. There's a couple of interesting signs that I noted. There was someone says WCW fans can't spell. It was a sign someone had, but they had. I don't know if this was intentional or not, or there was just irony. But fans are spelled with a Z at the end and can't with a K. I don't know if that was intentional. I reckon that might have been a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, somebody who's very much supporting Big Show in the storyline has the same saying, boss man must die. Jesus. Well, that's, that's no fun. <laughs> so, so Big Show is in this match. Boss man comes out, like he said, with an anvil and a watch that he implies that he stole from his father's hospital room because it was a watch that belonged to his granddad, Big Show's dad, and it was going to be handed to Big Show, but like, You've given your dad nothing to be proud of, so he smashes the watch with an with the hammer, and then he and Albert team up on the big show, and basically he gets knocked off the stage after he gets hit in the face with the hammer. So Prince Albert and Big Bossman are forming this random like alliance. It, it's weird that the big show is like, oh, I've driven all the way to SmackDown because I don't, and because I'm here to wrestle. But you know what? I should leave now because if I see Bossman, I'll do something I regret. Like. I don't think people would would blame you for doing anything bad to both then, because they all remember what happened on Raw. Yeah, and you're right. I just find it weird because Raw and SmackDown are probably going to be hundreds of miles away. Probably. Yeah, like it just feels weird that he's come all this way and now he's like, you know what, I'm going to go home. Like that's a long way, Big Show. Um, yeah, this is this is just the worst. <laughs> like it really really sucks like this storyline is just awful because you remember it's it's all about a dad who's dead and it's just so strange and there's so much there's such a better thing you could have done when you got the big boss man and big show two huge men like and now you got prince albert involved which did you know like jerry lawler's gonna remind us later but did you know that means dick <laughs> There was a a moment on NSSR podcast one time where we were talking about character reinvention and we mentioned when uh, Albert was Tensai and has the various characters he's been over the years and because we were talking about Tensai then we got the big shift to Prince Albert and uh, somebody jokes well they did name him after uh, piercing uh, piercing to the penis and when and somebody misheard it or heard it out of context or didn't know what Prince Albert was and he went what a tensai! Is that what that's called? Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, I think it's a, a sign of a sheltered upbringing. That is a sign of a sheltered upbringing. Like as much as WCW gets shit for probably this time for Hugh Erection, <laughs> like WWF also has Prince Albert, which just means a dick piercing. <laughs> like we, so but when you got such great talent as well. Because like, Prince Albert would obviously go on to be A-Train and then would leave WWE and go with huge success in IWGP uh, with Carl Anderson as a tag team. And you got Big Boss Man, who his uh, CV speaks for itself. And, and you got The Big Show as well. And then you put him in a storyline which is based around the fact someone's dead. It's just shit. I mean, <laughs> we'll come back to The Boss Man because he uh, he's got a big moment later on, but Mark Henry, you talk about major shifts with DX suddenly get back together, you wonder how could Mark Henry and uh, Godfather's partnership go so wrong so quickly? 
And I'll tell you why. Because oh, at the start of Raw, as Kevin Cole before the actual show's main title card, uh, Godfather was looking around because he had a match coming up, and he was looking for Henry in the hose. And it seems like a really fun children's book, Henry in the hose. Uh, he finds him in the locker room, and uh, Mark Henry's got his shirt off in that, and the hose all around him. He's thinking, "Well, it's time to go to work." And Mark seems really annoyed about it because obviously, uh, Godfather's one supplying with the women, but like. Like Mark seems really annoyed. Like Mark, we were waiting. The matches in the attitude are usually going like five minutes on TV, especially if it's someone like the Godfather. Like, just wait five minutes. You'll get you'll help help out your pal, and then you'll be able to go backstage and do what you want with the holes. But no, Mark can't wait because as he's coming out with the bus with a uh, Godfather, he's still buttoning his shirt back up, and he's fighting uh, Viscera, and Viscera decides, you know what? Why don't we put the holes on the line? in this match, basically they call it a winner-takes-whole match. Vizzer obviously promises Mark Henry, if he wins the hose, he can, Mark can do whatever the hell he wants with him, which is kind of what he was already doing with the Godfather. Uh, and uh, obviously, Minion tries to get interfere, but he gets kicked, sent to the back. Vizzer hits a spin kick at one point, and then when it looks like Godfather's got everything in hand, with the ho- he's going to hit the whole train. Mark Henry turns heel on the Godfather, and costs him the hose just because he's so greedy. And even though all Godfather tried to do was help out Mark Henry, and then he leaves with a big train of hose. But there are two hoes who are, remain loyal to the Godfather and stay behind to check he's okay. So Viscera decides to beat him up. What? Like, this is Oscar worthy. This was the, this was the first match on Raw. This is a Raw Open, by the way. I think yeah, like that is the the thing. Would you rather have a fifteen minute Stephanie McMahon promo, or do you want to want to watch a man fight for some escorts? <laughs> like, because those are the generations that we live in. <laughs> but yeah. um, what a storyline! This is just fantastic. And then they put over how how that the Dudleys are heels now. He saw shots of the hose being like left into an ambulance. And you, the camera pans over, and the Dudleys are bent over laughing at them. <laughs> this is just an incredible stuff. What a show. Well, you got sexual chocolate, and you got beaten up women, you got viscera, you got everything. Well, the segment on, on Smadaway is basically Mark Henry, he's got a tail wrapped around him, he's basically sweating. And a, a, these two women leave his room, and then two more women come in. So, like, he's all knackered, but, he, but he's damned if he's taking a break. Like, you guys you guys are annoyed about what the WWE calling Chad Gable, an Olympic wrestler, Shorty G. This is the world's strongest man. Literally, not a gimmick. This is a competition winning, world's strongest man. And they turned him into a sex addict. <laughs> like they didn't turn him into a main event killer. They were like, no, no, this guy just loves women too much. <laughs> so uh, next up, Chris Jericho is coming out for a match with Stevie Richards, and you'd think, why a match between these two wouldn't have much of a backstory to it? But you'd be wrong, <laughs> because on Raw. Uh, Jericho was going to be in a tag match against China and European champion Bill Brown, who, as I said to Carl, I keep forgetting he is the European champion. <laughs> the point where 
I think might partly be to do with the whole like injury he draws. Dilo starts spending less time on TV. I mean, he's going to pop up later on SmackDown, but he's, this is the beginning of a slow decline for him. But basically, what ha- happened was on a heat before this, uh, it was Dilo versus Jericho, and China basically cost Jericho the match against Dilo. So Jericho decided he was going to get back at China. He said that China does not belong in the ring. And she's not, again, getting no idea she's not a woman. She's as much place in the ring as a common fan. So he decides, <laughs> I'm going to get a random fan from the audience as my tag team partner. And he grabs a woman, and inverted commas, this woman who was clearly in drag and was Steve Richards dressed as a woman who stood on the apron and then made the mistake of tagging himself. And he got battered by Shayna. She hit him with a pedigree and... Shane and Dilo get the win, and Jericho puts the Richards in the walls of Jericho after the match. And what is funny is that he's dressed as a woman, and he takes the time to even pad his pad a bra to make him seem more authentic, because there are bits of pad and fluff from the bra are all over the ring as he's getting beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this was it was a good promo from Jericho. There was a sign in the crowd that said "Why too gay." <laughs> So that was good. Funny. That was good. Uh, it was a good promo from Jericho. And obviously, China, uh, well, not China, Stevie Richards came out as China. Uh, the match, was it wasn't really a match, as you said. But the the ending was kind of surprising, I guess, mm-hmm. in the way that Jericho went for, for a, a, uh, like a sunset flip and then China had come out with Miss Kitty and hit Jericho with the title. So Stevie got the win. Uh, but I, I just don't, I don't really find this very engaging or very good or good kind of, like I know that Stevie Richards is kind of better than this. Yeah. I would say, I would say he does, he does his best to chain look like China, but I think his wig falls off very quickly and when he's getting beaten up and I think if there was a contest to see who does the best impression of China. And it featured both Miss Kitty and Steve Richards. I think definitely Miss Kitty would score higher than Stevie Richards. But it is, it is very one-sided in favour of Jericho. He's just going to squash Steve Richards. Then he goes yeah. for a walk and behind the rest back, Shayna comes in, hits him with the IC belt. And Steve Richards manages to beat Chris Jericho, only to get beat up by both Jericho and Shayna after the match. So Stevie really can't catch a break, even if he did win the match. Do you think it was weird watching, because Chris Jericho, I know he used to do the double powerbomb, but is it, do you think it's kind of weird watching Chris Jericho do a powerbomb to a much taller man? Like, <laughs> it's kind of, um, we haven't credited how the Stevie Richards tan lines, like they're pretty, they're pretty impressive. A man who clearly is used to wrestling in kind of shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's got a tan brother, brother, but then he's coming out in like tights and a fong thing. So he's just got complete white ass cheeks for the entire match. <laughs> um, that was um, probably that that best sums up the segment. I think Stevie Rich's white ass is, <laughs> is a good way to sum up this segment. And it was quite Would funny hearing you? it's quite funny hearing Jerry Lawler like comment on Miss Kitty because you're like dirty dog. <laughs> She's gonna cost you your job in a bit. <laughs> would you believe this is not the last time Steve Richards will dress up as a woman in his career I would believe you <laughs> like um, 
I think I've seen him do it a couple of times, or maybe I'm thinking of when Charlie Haas did the exact same thing. Well, there was a in 2004 for a couple of months when Victoria. Oh came, yeah, yeah. I there was a mystery woman who kept coming out to try and help Victoria in 04 and she there was a match between her and Trish Stratus at Unforgiven that year, and basically she got involved again, and then Tyson Tonko was kind of Trish's like heavy because they said challenged this mystery woman to a match. And then basically revealed the woman to be Stevie Richards. Like the idea in Kefi that Tyson Tonko wants to beat up a random woman before realizing it's a guy is just bizarre. He's the problem solver. He <laughs> saw he a problem and he solved it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I solved oh. the problem of being on my television by thankfully leaving a year later. Oh. I like Tyson Tonko. I thought he was pretty good. <laughs> like when he was Christian's um, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had he had a good time in TNA for a little bit after WWE. So uh, the Rock arrives at the arena. I don't think the Rock really cares about DX, but then he sees uh, Road Dog, and basically the Rock can tell what's going on in area, so he's prepared to like fend off Road Dog. But then, almost leaping off in a frame is Billy Gunn, who takes down the Rock. DX beat up, beat him up, throw him in the back of the trunk, and basically. Road Dog drives off in the car with the rock in the back. Uh, yeah, we got to see a live kidnapping. So that was always good. Uh, I thought, it, yeah, it was a pretty good beatdown. It kind of became clear, it was immediately clear what was happening when Road Dog was just there. And I don't really know what DX's, I don't really get what DX's plan was. And like, they obviously try and explain it later on in the show when they're trying to look for Steve Austin. But was it just to get rid of everyone so that there was no one left for Triple H to fight? Because he still has to fight these people at Survivor Series, presumably. Who knows what the plan? I think he's just trying to use the North to take out his competition. I don't know what the plan was, but they do get interviewed by Kevin Kelly after the break and basically just show a little remorse for kidnapping the Rock. I mean, Broadjack does come back later on and uh, he tells this old guy who works in the parking lot to let him know when Austin gets there. And yeah, what, what happened to Rock? And he basically, all he says is he's on the other side of the tracks, if you know what I mean. Well, no, I don't know what you mean. Can you give like, more explanation than that? Yeah, is there, are there train tracks, like, nearby? Is he just sat on... Or do you mean he's on the wrong side of the tracks, so he's on the tracks? Like, uh-huh. what do you what do you mean, Road Dog? Like, um, yeah, just a nice, nice old-fashioned kidnapping. No, uh... Before we talk about what's coming next, we should talk again, go back again to Monday Night Raw where we had the big feud blowing up match, a steel cage match between Test and the British Bulldog. (laughs) (laughs) Looked like a pretty good match. I think every, I think a lot of people are listening but don't know the context will know the moment that we're about to talk about. But I actually didn't know the context myself as to obviously what you're about to talk about with Shame at Man because we've seen that a million times. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, this is an Englishman taking on a Canadian, so naturally the crowd chant USA at one point, <laughs> which I don't get. Uh, it is a decent match. Uh, Bulldog does get thrown around. The cage with Tessa is really strong. Uh, randomly backstage is show that Stephanie's regained her memory, so now it looks like the her and Tess are back together. I think this is an indication of like this was a Russo storyline. Russo's gone, so you know that we've been left to pick up the pieces. 
let's just say she regained her memory and just move on from this. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. I think that could possibly be said for a lot of storylines that's going on at the moment. Mm. Yeah, but he does hit a very impressive elbow off the top of the cage. And then this one looks like he has that one bossy interfere. And while he's spinning off the Mean Street bossy, Bulldog sneaks out of the door. But the annoying thing is, no one seems to notice. Not even the commentators, because the commentators don't barely even acknowledge it. Because uh, then, sort of after that, Shane comes down, and as we talked about the moment you mentioned, Shane dives off of the cage. It looks like part of the cage, like meshing, is kind of coming off as he's about to climb. So the cage is not like it's the best constructed. He comes off the top. Ian tests down tall after fending off the posse. But the main story is the fact that the Bulldog won the cage match, which means that rightfully it somehow put him in line for what we're going to talk about next with the Bulldog gets a title shot, a European title shot to be exact. Yeah, well, I guess he technically won the match, so why not? It's a good it's a good reward for the guy. But yeah, that Shane McMahon crossbody off the top has been replayed a ton. And it kind of really, kind of feels sorry for Test, because no one talks about his elbow off the top. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because Shane McMahon did the big jump. Uh, but yeah, D'Lo Brown... Against the boss, uh, get not the boss man, the British bulldog. So I was quite looking forward to this when I saw it was D'Lo that he was facing. Well, what's sad? Uh, I think it shows the fall of the bulldog is it's, I think it may have been mentioned at once at most, but it was very offhanded. Yeah, the fact that the very little like attention is paid to the fact that bulldog was the first European champion, and he held it for quite a while as well. I think he's still one of the longest reigning champions as well as being the first that they rarely talk about it. Yeah, that is that is a bit weird. It kind of just they don't really treat the bulldog with the respect that I don't know if he deserve. Like, presumably, he deserves the respect, but I don't really know why. Like, was there particularly? Is it just bad blood stemming from Montreal? Do you think? I, don't know. I think the main reason bulldog even got a job back in the first place was because it was maybe a show of good faith because of the Owen tragedy that happened a few months earlier. And that's when he got brought back. I mean, I know Anvil was campaigning to try and get a job back in the company, but they just didn't want him. Yeah, and I think it kind of... Bulldog, obviously, as is well documented, he's not in the best condition. Like, I don't mean looks-wise. Like, the guy looks a million bucks, but, like, he can't necessarily do super long matches anymore or things like that. But can we... This is the first D'Lo Brown match I've watched in a long time, and, my God, the guy is swagger pouring out of him i got to see the head shake again listen to that amazing music what a guy something i feel bad for though was i should have mentioned it earlier when he was in that tag match i could swear i heard booze for deal when he first came out on raw and he didn't get the best reaction when he came out here as he usually would because i think some fans are blaming him for what um, he draws which is a shame uh yeah i can kind of well, I don't understand. I think that's just shitty. Like accidents happen, mm-hmm. and uh, it's something you see. Like obviously, the draws one was really bad, but it's definitely something you see these days as well. Is whenever anything goes slightly wrong in the ring, it's like, oh fuck that guy, they're unsafe. Like, um, but yeah, Delo doesn't really deserve that. He didn't necessarily didn't do anything particularly unsafe that anyone has ever spoken about. 
So that kind of is just a bit shitty of people. Yeah, I mean, even as you know, with withdrawals in the way to hospital, draws the team saying feel it wasn't your fault. So, like, if the guy who got injured doesn't blame him, I don't think anyone else really should. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I was I was quite into seeing a bit of Delo Brown, and they had uh, they had a good match, but it was quite clear at points that Bulldog was just completely set on slowing it down. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of headlocks. You want to talk about Randy Orton headlocks in 20, <laughs> 25 minute matches? Bulldog's doing several of them in about a five minute match. <laughs> when a Randy's here was about the Bulldog. Yeah, exactly. That's what he based his style on. Yeah. It is a decent match. I mean, there's a shot with the steps that Bulldog uses the steps at one point oh, yeah. right in front of the ref. <laughs> Nothing. Do you think Bulldog just didn't give a fuck? Maybe the policy keep interfering behind the rest back, but you think about it like after that ter- that step shot with them like you guys you might not bother fucking he wouldn't care either way if he's seen you. <laughs> yeah, so, very much. Dilo does kind of hold off like all interference. He does manage to like withstand uh, them getting involved. Uh, they use the title belt at one point, and he even takes the the running power slam or the jogging power slam at this stage, but he still manages to kick out. Only for only get kind of tripped on the the top rope by the the posse, and Bulldog hits him with a top rope suplex, and that's somehow enough for the Bulldog to pick up his second European title. Yeah, that was weird because like super, well, it's obviously a different time, but like superplexes these days is very much like a transitional thing. You would never buy someone getting pinned by a superplex these days, but uh, I guess it is kind of quite a huge move when you think about it. The power slam, I don't think he even jogged. He just stood still like, and just hit a power slam. But when you were saying about D'Lo getting kind of a, an iffy reaction to begin with, like when he was kicking out at like, the power slam and the title shot, he was getting like quite a lot of cheers mm-hmm. from the crowd. So I think he won them round with his kind of those people that were booing him. It's just, um, man, the posse, they just suck, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they do. I think they are again like they're being used to help take some of the load off of off a bulldog. This match went longer than you'd expect it to uh, for a TV match, so it again a good amount of time probably because the take was on the line. And I feel bad for a bulldog doing that slap, that suplex because you think, given that his kind of downfall that he's going through was started with a back injury, you got to think that's going to hurt him more than it is Dilo. Probably, yeah. But I mean, seeing the bulldog, I've didn't know or didn't remember I don't know if I ever saw it before that he actually won the European Championship again so it was kind of cool to see Bulldog win the European Championship again so that was kind of nice and they did make it seem like a big deal mm-hmm. uh, even on commentary like they were playing it up about how the guy, the British guy is a European champion again so that was kind of, it was nice to see it's not necessarily the best bit of Bulldog's career, but there was there was some highlights there for sure. Still, yeah, yeah, I feel like the posse kind of looked up on their shoulders as a big celebration at the end. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the Bulldog was super proud of his time with the posse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Raw this past week, we uh, get the first revelation of uh, Kane and his relationship with Tori. Uh, because he just offhandly mentions Tordy and we say, 
uh, interviewing he's getting ready for his match against Bob Roode Dudley and he asks X-Pot to stay out of it which X-Pot understands uh, the Dudleys jump X-Pot and Kane during their interview and steal Kane's voice box and uh, Bob Roode comes out basically mocking Kane's like the way Kane sounds so Kane comes out to try and murder Bubba it does end in a DQ after D1 gets in, involved you see X-Pot backstage watching it but he's not going out to get involved because Kane told him not to Often that is when Tori comes in and basically tells him get out of there or I'll go out there. So she, so Xbox reluctantly after Tori tells him to goes and helps Kane, which takes us to a backstage segment on the SmackDown where Xbox assures Kane that quote they are still tight they are still bros even though the X three form he says it's just something I'm doing on the side and he says Kane like I only went out there because uh, because Tori said she would go out there if I didn't I was just trying to keep her safe in that. So Kane seems to be on side with uh, Xbox, and uh, the commentator tease like, "Is Kane the new member that Xbox was referring to earlier on?" As uh, we go into Xbox and Kane versus the Dudley Boys, where we have Kane doing uh, most of the work during the match, ties in Xbox. Xbox has a few moves. Ties came back in, and it was here that young Scott learned the meaning of the term betrayal. <laughs> Oh, the nut shot heard around the world. Xbox <laughs> oh, low blows Kane hits the X Factor, and the Dudleys get in, get in. They steal the win. Kane immediately gets back up to try and kill Xbox when all of DX get involved and attack him. And Xbox yells that there's not going to be a new member of DX because Kane's a piece of crap and he's tired of carrying him. I mean, I don't know about you, Scott, but if you were putting like a an army together or a faction and you had the chance to quite easily get Kane on your side mm-hmm. would you not have taken it considering your opposition are The Rock Steve Austin and maybe Mankind mm-hmm. like, and you've got a chance to get the devil's favourite demon mm. I don't know I feel like they really threw something away here but um, the match was kind of not. It was kind of just Kane being a shit out of people, which is always the best thing in the world. I think we can both agree. Yeah. Uh, watching Kane hit a flying clothesline and sidewalk slams and just boot people in the face uh, was was pretty cool. The betrayal was was unjust. I think X Pucks uh, X Pucks a piece of crap. Not Kane. Kane's cool. Um. There was a call where X Pac was like, "Your brother was right about you," and I was kind of like, "I want to know what Taker said now." <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, good segment. I'm kind of glad Kane didn't join DX. That would have been weird. Um, he would have of... changed the red to green, and he's outfit yeah. looked ugly. That might have been kind of cool. Uh, the beatdown. I feel like maybe they could have done a little bit more to Kane to kind of beat him down. I'm not sure about just an X factor being enough to put Kane down, but he was up quick enough um, to kind of start getting a bit of revenge. But no, I thought, I thought it was good. Uh, I liked the segment. I think it got good good stuff from DX to kind of make them look like a bit of a force before they kind of get embarrassed for the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's no secret I'm a big Kane fan here. And like... Some people argue, when was the true beginning of X-Pac Keat? And for me, it was right here. <laughs> and what's odd is looking back at the timeline, it's Kane 
that's had to really be there to always save X-Pac and X-Pac always felt like the weaker one of the two and yet suddenly like maybe because he, he gets too big for his pictures he's won that that four way at no mercy he's gotten back with his pals and now he suddenly he thinks he's the fucking Billy Big Bollocks and he says I don't need Kane anymore fucking prick what what an absolute arsehole fuck you X-Pac mm-hmm. no wonder everyone hates you <laughs> It's okay, at least Kane has toy now, and that's a bond that will never break. Exactly, and to be honest, I'm going to call that an upgrade. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> moving, moving on before I break it down into tears, we have another tag team match with uh, the Hardys taking on the odd couple of Viscera and Mark Henry with uh, not the best-looking hose that you usually see with the Godfather, but my God, would Gerald Law not shut up about these hoes like, Asking can we film them from the neck down? Oh yeah, and like calling it uh, when they were getting the ring, saying something about it being more like Animal Kingdom. When one of the really uh, kind of more overweight ones was trying to get into the ring, he was like going nuts about that. Uh, but yeah, this was this was certainly this was something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, and. Like, Mark Henry's had a weird week. He got, finally got with the Godfather back together. He turned on him on Raw, and now he's, he gets too distracted here. Because, like, originally, Viscera kind of manages them, manages the fan of the Hardys quite well, just beats them up because he's, like, 500 pounds. Mark gets tied in. He does very well for himself. And then he gets distracted because Terry gets on the apron. You know, because I was wondering, what was really the point of them having Terry? What did she add? And for the purpose of this match, she actually added a lot because she actually helped the Hardys get the win by distracting the always horny Mark Henry. Hardys uh, had a netbreaker swanton combo and get the win. And then this weird partnership with Vister ends even quicker than the Godfather Mark Henry partnership because Vister turns on Mark after the match, which I think is karma in a way. Yeah, no, I think it probably is karma. I mean, Mark Henry just must be knackered. Because what we're led to believe is that he's just been he's just been shagging all week <laughs> across like both shows. Uh, it was nice to see the Hardys though, like it's still kind of developing those characters and still kind of getting over to where they're going to be. Uh, pretty much, I know they got a big match with the Dudleys at the Rumble 2000, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like, and that's going to be great for them and then obviously what happens kind of at Wrestlemania and with the TLC matches and everything like that is going to be a good time for the Hardys coming up so it's nice to see their development their partnership with Terry looks strong she was a great asset at interfering with her assets and um, yeah so good match good segment strange storyline development yeah I've got to confess to not being a huge fan of Viscera <laughs> in kind of any capacity um so they, that was kind of quite a lumbering tag team to see the hardys defeat with relative ease but otherwise i thought it was pretty wasn't a bad segment it was just probably a bit tasteless and a bit out of its time at this point yeah i kind of like this around almost an ironic sense like his stuff is mabel and the fact that he was king of the ring for a while and uh, the fact that they had to insist on being enough to run and having to be carried to the ring with these poor bastards having a carry him to and from the ring all the time. So I kind of like him in an ironic way, but yeah, I get that he was just, he was really nothing in ring-wise, and 
obviously it was right for the hardest to win because as we said, like you can see that, that their development and how they're being taken more seriously given that they've been paired with Terry and they're in for big things in the future. Uh, this yeah. Is yeah, I kinda agree with you. I'm one thing I am glad that Mark Henry eventually found uh, a way to get himself to the top of top of the card. Because mm-hmm. seeing him here, it's kind of like he has become a comedy character, but he is literally the world's strongest man. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so strange. But yeah, is is cool to see kind of what Terry, what having Terry Reynolds has done, kind of for the Hardys, mm-hmm. like in getting them kind of to be treated more seriously than perhaps they were beforehand. Mm-hmm. So good stuff, I thought. Yeah. Uh, not really, nothing really that's to write home about. Like, just really showed that Mark Henry got way deserved for betraying my friend, my boy, the God. The, he got way deserved for attacking the Godfather. Yeah, he's not going to be doing any shagging this week, is he? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's a few things involving uh, DX, but uh, when we talk about the closing segment of the show, I'll just tie them all together. So, we'll move on to everything else that happened on the show. Uh, next up is Al Snow versus the Big Boss Man. Uh, I believe this is for the Harker Day, or it might just be a non-title match. Thing. But basically, Boss Man jumps uh, Al Snow. It builds up to the, out- the outside where Al actually takes control of the match. Albert kind uh, of distracts the referee by just banging very loudly on the steps, which allows uh, the Boss Man to use the Harker title as a weapon to help him pick up the win, to which Al challenges uh Bossman and Albert to meet him at a match in the parking lot for the title. Now, before we get to the parking lot, you really anything to comment on this match? Um, no, <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was, it was fine. I didn't understand why the referee got distracted by Albert banging on steps with the nightstick. Like the referee was going to be like, "Hey, that's super annoying." <laughs> I, I don't really get that, but it was a thing that happened, and. Yeah, big big boss man one. Kind of again showing what I was saying on the last episode about how Al Snow's kind of treated a little bit seriously, even though he's a comedy character, because Big Boss Man needed to cheat to beat him. Mm-hmm. Um, despite being huge and having a giant pierced man on the outside. Um, but yeah, I thought Al Snow's promo after when he was like, I don't know if it's just because they upped my medication <laughs> and things like that, it was better than the match. <laughs> Yeah, it seems a weird shift. So, last week he's challenging for the... It's basically a couple of weeks. He's been in a triple threat match where he lost the hardcore title to then challenging for the WWE title. And then this week he's randomly losing because of the distraction and use of the belt to Bossman. So, he's had a weird few weeks on SmackDown as his uh, else now. Good for him. Cash mm-hmm. those checks, baby. Pay him and pin him, pay him, as he says on his Job Squad uh, t-shirt. <laughs> so the boss man and Albert go into the parking lot. They don't really see snow. So they get into their car, which is really right up against uh, a wall, conveniently. But as I put my, my notes in all caps, it's a trap. As the big show is on a forklift. And basically, jams it, rams it into the side of the car, basically pins them against the wall, and then does an in-betweeners and by that I mean he jumps up and down on the car like when Jay jumped on that guy's guy in his car and basically starts crushing the roof by jumping up and down on it and then he disappears gets this massive bin 
and basically murders Bossman and Albert by crushing the car with this bin. Yeah, what what an attack. So, many, many questions. First, why did they think, oh, can't see Al, better go sit in a car, and what hope he walks past? Like, it's quite a big building. <laughs> like, um, obviously, that wasn't a parking space, was my second note. There was no parking space lines. So, why were they parked there? Um, like, why was his car not locked? We didn't see him unlock the car. That's risky. Um, did they not see the forklift? Big Show's not a small man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, and to start up a forklift would not be silent as well. So, yeah, like, and. Yeah, this is just like Big Shed and smashing windows with his bare hands. Did he not learn from Goldberg? <laughs> Goldberg nearly ended his career doing that. And yeah, I was then for, I was then worried when Big Shed was jumping on it. I was like, Jesus, this roof's just going to cave in and he's going <laughs> to murder those people. But yeah, he definitely killed it. it was, but it was good that Big Shed stayed in gimmick because he did do his big hand thing afterwards. He was like, <laughs> ah, like, good, good stuff. Um, yeah, I thought this was an attack that Big Boss Man deserved in storyline, and the same with Prince Albert. Good revenge for the big show. Uh, doesn't he look slim in 1999? <laughs> like, he looks slim now, like the guy's in incredible shape. But mm-hmm. he's not the big, big show yet. Yeah, not quite yet. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was good. I would have liked to have seen Al Snow like do something to kind of lure them into the car, maybe, if we're just looking at this logically. Uh, it, I mean, it didn't really bother me that much. I thought it was pretty good. Mm, but I enjoyed it too. They do reference later on that the paramedics have had to go get the jaws of life to get them out of the car. <laughs> like, I feel like if they just reversed the forklift truck, they could probably open the door. Yeah, but the fact that the bin is still on top of the car thing. Oh, I can't, can't move bins. They're super heavy. <laughs> yeah, unless you're the big show. This is true. So, one last uh, trip back over to Monday Night Raw before we get into the next uh, match. Uh, Mankind was gifted a WWF title shot against Triple H, obviously, to follow on from what happened on on Raw on uh, SmackDown last week when he got the DQ win but then didn't get into the triple threat, which we talked about all but next, last week, so I don't really want to get into it here. So, he gets the shot against Triple H, the so brawler on the outside. Renee said uh, Mankin gets sent into the steps. Uh, Triple H works over the shoulder a lot of Mankin in this match. And there's a point where Mankin does his really scary, like, hangman spot where he gets tied up in the ropes, which has famously led to uh, the loss of, like, two thirds of one of his ears. Uh, really, get, uh, the babyface Mankin uses the title belt to a big reaction because people think he's actually going to win. He gets Mr. Socko in and you're actually watching it, like, you know the belt's not going to change hands, but you think, like, like, Foley looks like he might actually win this, and you think, you got to think at the time it would have been great, because there were thoughts, like, yes, Mick Foley's going to finally get the title back, because they famously won at SummerSlam, only to drop it the next night to Triple H, and then uh, our old pal, Al, our old pal, uh, Val Venus comes out, and interferes, and uh, Al Snow eventually comes out to save Mankind, but basically, Lion King's lost out on being the Dodo champion thanks to Val Venus. And that leads to Val Venus versus uh, Val Venus versus Mankind on Macdown. Jabber, even though I mentioned 
why in storyline this is happening. I just put in my notes, why is this happening? Yeah, this was like Val Venus did the promo before the match where he was like, I know what you want, mankind. You want respect for all the things you've done in your career. Uh, and then Val Venus again called himself the fastest rising WWF superstar in history or something like that, didn't he? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Like the match, the match I thought was actually, no, the match I thought was actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like between Mankind and Val Venus, I thought they had a good kind of back and forth kind of like brawl. Uh, Val Venus was again working over the same shoulder, so there was a bit of continu- continuity there and everything like that. The crowd obviously went nuts when Mankind realised he didn't have Mr. Socko. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Scott. <laughs> he just doesn't have Mr. Socko. And then when Al Snow... Al Snow's back. <laughs> like after, after leading to the murder of two people, Al Snow giving him Socko, the crowd go apeshit. And it was a good win for Mankind. I feel like perhaps, Scott, this might be the end of the Val Venus experiment already. Thankfully, I think. Because didn't Val Venus beat Mankind at the last pay-per-view? Yeah, Val Venus beats Mankind at No Mercy with the uh, the testicular claw and like I watched this and the thing this match was happening on this episode and I'm like why I'm like surely this probably should have just ended at no mercy like value you won what more do you want and uh, you're not getting any of the day of title match that, that was made clear last week so you have nothing to gain here and like I said like it was a decent match although I don't think these two are the best thing because like Mick tries his best, but like Val clearly doesn't shouldn't be in this position. Like he went for the money shot, but Mick rolls it the way. But yeah, and thanks to El Snow, uh, he managed to beat him with Soko. I think more than anything, the big takeaway here is that with the whole thing of Val of Al showing uh, Mick that it was the Rock that threw away his book and him getting involved here, I think they're just trying to go over that now. Mick's moving in, he's somebody who's actually his friend. And Al Snow, somebody actually wants to be his friend, and maybe I'll, him and Al Snow will be a tag team. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, it does make sense in that sense. I suspect that they maybe just wanted to give Mankind the win over Val because Val is probably kind of done being in this big, this, the bigger positions. Like he had this shot last week in the main event against Steve Austin, and now to see him kind of losing and kind of, I guess it is towards the end of SmackDown to Mankind. Uh, pretty much clean, like other than Al Snow handing a man a sock. Like, there's no real cheating going on. But, yeah, we are going to get Al Snow and Mankind as a tag team for a bit, aren't we? I think so, and I think that'll be fun. There isn't another match after us, there's just a big segment in Ring Zero that happens after us, so technically, Val Venus has may have entered back-to-back weeks of uh, SmackDown. Oh, and they both went really well for him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, <laughs> So, but yeah, I'm glad they tried with Val, but like, because everyone probably should get at least some shots to try and get over properly. But I imagine this is probably it, and it's cool to see a new tag team because you got two two good characters in Mankind and Al Snow who can do some funny stuff. Before, uh, well, won't say what happens, but obviously Mick has bigger things in sights. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, okay. We'll put together a bunch of uh, stuff that's happened throughout the show that involved the DX before we talk about our closing segment. Uh, earlier on the show, the same parking attendant that Road Dog talked to about The Rock 
comes to the other locker room to tell them that Austin has arrived at the building. And then later on, we, we see the moment that you referenced earlier on, Road Dog screaming in pain in the parking lot, and he's got his leg caught in a bear trap. So we're, <laughs> so we're very nonchalantly like, oh, that looks painful. And he pours some beer on that, and then wanders <laughs> off. Perhaps the greatest segment in wrestling history. Um, <laughs> this is incredible. First off, how do you not see a bear trap? As you're, I know, like if you cover it up with leaves or like grass or stuff, if you're actually out hunting for real. But there was, this is just in the middle of a parking lot. But like, um, so road dog is really stupid. Very much. So I don't know how he didn't see it. I don't know how Billy Gunn got at himself in the next situation. As I put in my notes, Billy Gunn just hanging out. As Billy Gunn <laughs> is hanging upside down. That clearly there was some sort of bait or some sort of like thing he had to step in to get tied with his leg and then hung up. And Austin just looks at him and just takes the piss out of him. <laughs> Again, just an idiot. Billy Gunn's not a small man, so that's some strong rope that <laughs> Steve's got. Um, so can, big, big congrats to him. I think Bear Grylls is really getting a run for his money in this episode. <laughs> and then the weirdest out of all three, I think, is they're in the locker room. Uh, uh, Dog's still favouring his leg, and. We're going about how many get Austin, and then Austin owns Xbox. Xbox not on speakerphone, but somehow we can still hear Austin talk very loudly when he's on the phone. He just talks about looking up to the stars or something like that. Xbox looks up, and part of the roof falls on his head. It wasn't just part of the roof, Scott. That was clearly like four bits of cardboard that <laughs> <laughs> just hit him straight on the head. There's all this like dust and all that stuff from the roof that's all on his head and well it wouldn't be the last time he'd have white stuff all over his face and he said but you know not that it would be completely different yeah this was the weakest one like i know bear trap and getting kind of uh whatever you call it like lassoed up or whatever by the ankle that's kind of funny and entertaining but just clearly seeing some poorly done cardboard roof tiles hit X-Buck on the head and then you're meant to believe that he's like completely out of it. I was like, ah, come on guys, you could have dropped something funnier on him. Like, you could have done something just as entertaining. Like, you could have got him, I don't know, had him accidentally put his hand in a mouse trap or something. Like, something funnier than just roof tiles. But I guess it served its purpose. This what this is what happen, this is what would happen if Kevin McAllister grew up in Texas, not Chicago. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So DX says they've had enough, and they go out to the ring to call it Austin. Uh, Xbox still got the white stuff all over his head. Uh, uh, Road Dog is limping to the ring. They check under the ring, make sure Austin's not there, and basically in the space of two hours or an hour and a half without commercial it went to DX from being this dominant stable that that backs up the champion to make them look really dumb throughout the course of the show because Austin's basically called them, made them all look like idiots he comes in and basically talks about how stupid they are fall for his, his traps yeah like he's had a couple of funny like lines um, that, he could, that he could that he was kind of talking about for for them falling into the traps but you are right they started off they looked dominant they took down Kane uh, with kind of efficiency 
and then mm-hmm. by the end then within kind of the final half of the show the final like 45 40 minutes they're just kind of made to look like just complete dorks mm-hmm. like for the rest of it like stepping in a bear trap or getting like lassoed up and, and then having a bit of roof fall on you it's kind of like it's kind of, it's just kind of just makes them not look like a threat in any way shape or form to austin and they've also taken out the rock and literally kidnapped him uh-huh. and, but because it's steve austin they have to look like complete idiots for some reason so by the end of the show i'm like oh i kind of are, are, are the rock and cane just that useless because mm. then yeah the assignment he then drops this massive net on them he runs to the ring deal they somehow managed to regain the composure get out of the net and still have the four one on austin to which then kane comes out to help find them off, and then it comes the rock. You need to think either these so-called tracks that Rodol was talking about are either really close to the building, and he didn't really drive that far away to get rid of rock, or the rock is really fast that he managed to run back to the building in time. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that those segments instead of like the Austin ones. It's just a rock. He's like fifty miles away now from the arena and it's just a rock trying to like get his way home for the rest of for the rest of the show but it kind of felt like you remember when they did the same where they had goldberg arrested in wcw but they accidentally showed in a shot that the police station was literally across the road from the arena and then when goldberg got out he it took him like an hour to get back after he got released (laughs) it kind of felt like the same thing where it's like the rock's just being an idiot (laughs) but um, I mean, I kind of I don't know about you. I kind of felt like short change all of it, even because you were talking. They talked about how matches with the Rock and Austin against members of TX that don't end up happening, and then you can you just know that like when the show went off air for the live crowd because it's obviously tape, there was probably like like three uh, members of DX I don't know if Triple H would be but like. We were still the DX against Kane, Austin, and Rock in some sort of six-man like dark match main event. So you guys think the live crowd really got their minds over you? I think if you're watching it, you just get this like brief brawl with the faces stand soul, but you don't get the matches that were promised to you at the start of the show. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I would happily bet a bit of money that if we spent the time to look up what a dark match was, that you're right. It was probably Austin, Kane, and Rock against like. Triple H and the New Age Outlaws or something and they probably had a fairly decent fun six man tag but yeah I did a bit I kind of felt like this show didn't have a main event Yeah, like it wasn't until you said oh Val technically main evented that I was like oh shit that was the main event <laughs> um, of the show for us so I didn't really get much from this segment uh, it was just kind of storyline and trying to make Austin look as cool as humanly possible which i guess worked but it just got a little bit too hokey for my liking um dx just looked like complete morons like by the end of it and they've only just reformed but i mean the crowd was super into it it's always cool to see austin and they had a fun enough brawl to end to end the show so i guess it did its job in terms of storyline yeah, I mean, because I sometimes look at like look at the the timestamps that they have on the uh, on the network where you can look go between segments to just to see just how much happens. Because like usually there are so many more for shows like this, and that's better than there are nowadays because so much is happening. Because matches go quite short, so there's a lot more stuff to happen that they can cram in. 
and the amount of like setback things I found on this one when I was scrolling through like Austin does this, DX looking for Austin, Road Dog returns to the arena, like the amount of like stuff that happened in backstage, I think that's the advantage you have with this pre-taped kind of show, but like in terms of wrestling, this is one of the shows where you really felt like nothing really happened like of note other than like stuff that was used to help further DX. Because, like, match-wise, the most important thing I think happened was the Bulldog winning the European title. Yeah, I would say that's definitely the most important thing that happened outside of Mark Henry shagging himself out. Like, <laughs> that was the biggest moment on the show, probably. And, yeah, I mean, potentially the best match of the show as well. Apart mm-hmm. from maybe too cool against the ENC. Yeah. That was pretty good. Like it wasn't a very wrestling heavy show. Like and the matches we did get were very much story over substance. But um so a real mixed bag, I would probably call this show. Yeah. It really is. I think you can say it's most weeks, but I think that's one more than any like like I said, DX took over the whole show. Uh, they were they were, like, it was good at the start because it was establishing this, this like dominant group because obviously they got them back together quite quickly so they had to and then the ending of the background did them no favour so like, it's one of those things where you realise like, what the hell was the point of it then yeah I almost feel like DX on Raw or on the next Smackdown that you review you, we need to see them get a dominant win mm-hmm or maybe have the New Age Outlaws... I don't actually know the timeline, so this is just me saying it randomly, but maybe if the New Age Outlaws decisively win the tag belts, get a title shot somehow, um, or something like that, because at the end of it, I was like, well, they're no threat to anyone. <laughs> like yeah. they, they achieved nothing. On Their whole purpose of this show was to get rid of The Rock, Austin, and presumably Kane, and they actually achieved nothing. I'm sure that uh, it was will probably have at least one more reign in the next month or so because the, the belts always seem to get back to them. And uh, I'm really looking forward to what happens next with X-Pac and King because they have a, a fun feud, which it does go on longer than it should. But uh, at least for the, these first few months that we're going to be looking into for the next few episodes, it's a really like fun like personal feud between these two. Yeah, the, yeah I, I have quite fond memories of watching that feud as well and I quite like X-Pac I know that's at times not the most popular thing in the world to say in terms of his character especially at this point but I always quite enjoyed him like watching him kick someone's face off was always good <laughs> yeah so I know we've kind of like we say it was a mixed bag this episode but fair to ask, where would your thumb be for this episode I think it's going to be thumbs in the middle but it's ever so slightly pointing towards down i don't think it was it's not a thumbs down episode because it was quite fun and it didn't get boring at any point and that's kind of the biggest thing for me in wrestling is that my board watching this and i wasn't but there just wasn't a lot of good wrestling not a lot of matches that were designed to be good matches on the show uh there was some fun storyline stuff though as well and there was there's some fun to be had on this show it is very very chaotic but it is too dx heavy like they are literally everywhere on this show bar a couple of matches um Mm. but it it wasn't terrible but i wouldn't necessarily call it good i mean 
one thing we said about last week's show was we pointed out the Foley promo to definitely go back and watch. I'm not sure if this show has a segment that I would tell someone to go watch. But, but yeah, thumbs in the middle, but ever so slightly towards down. I think I agree with your ratings you know, last week. I think I'm going to be, make it two for two, and I'm agreeing again this week because my thumb is so close to being like thumbs down, of keeping it kind of middling to down because there is just enough, like a few segments that keep it from being like a totally like a total thumbs down because. If it's a thumbs down, then as we look seven, there was barely anything to enjoy. And if there was stuff to enjoy here, and just enough to keep my thumb from going all the way down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, is there it, one final question? If there's one point of this show that you would tell people to go check out, is there one for you? Uh, I think the closest thing, like, because, like, I know I said the, the, the thing that is most notable match wise is Bolo win the title, but, like, even though I don't think at this stage, especially, I would ask, I would encourage anyone to watch any Bulldog matches, especially at this stage of his career. Uh, I think the closest thing that I would recommend, I don't even know if I'd recommend that, is Xbox turning on Kane, but I think it's a moment that everybody already knows, so what would the point be of that? I think that's the thing we're gonna do, I'm going to end up doing in the next, going forward, is there anything that you would actually tell people to watch? Because I think if there is... That shows that something really like resonated with you, or something you can really take away from a show, and I think it's really shown that there was very little to take away from this show. Yeah, I'd, I'd kind of, I'd completely agree on that. Uh, yeah, not as good as last week. Mm-hmm. Nah, yeah, sad. Uh, like I was looking, interested to see what would happen when DX got back together, but it's kind of sad that obviously this is being just saying other than that fact that it ends on kind of a down note. But it's been good having you on again, Nathan. Yeah, this has been fun, and if I bring nothing else to a podcast, it is to it is an ending on a down note. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully, we didn't. Uh, it's not too depressing that note for you guys listening. Is there anything you would recommend about this episode? Did you like the yeah, it's getting back together? Let us know on Twitter at Rogue underscore Opinion, and be sure to check out all the other episodes of the Rogue Retro Smackdown review. Myself being joined by Nathan last week and before that and also the episodes I did with Jimmy and look forward to seeing who I get next for the next couple of episodes of we march over closer to Survivor Series and be sure to check out all the rest of our back catalog. We've got stuff like Master Debaters, uh, the quizzes that we've been doing and so much other content and you can follow me on Twitter at ScottMcLean1996 uh, I don't have much else to plug personally that I'm doing because I'm doing not much else uh, Nathan, you got any plugs? Yeah, you can just you can find me at Nathan Greenaway if you want to follow me on Twitter. And other than that, you've already said about the back catalogue. And check out go on Twitter again. That's at Rogue Underscore Opinions. Go and jump on our website as well, where there's loads of articles going up from Carl and uh, Anthony as well. Uh, but otherwise, no quarantine's not not got me doing a lot else either. If you're not doing much else in quarantine, make sure you. Get- You've got even more time to check out that back catalogue. Even join our Facebook uh, group, uh, facebook.com forward slash roguepinions20. Some chat with some like-minded people who are also listening to this show and even us and talking about some of the stuff that you're doing to kind of keep your mind off the board in the quarantine and the website that uh, our WordPress site that all these articles are being uploaded to that Nathan just mentioned there. But I'll try to think whose music, after this kind of 
bummer of an episode. Whose music do we play to, to send us out? Because I'm I'm between Kane after his betrayal, after him being betrayed, or Dilo Brown because I feel bad that he lost the European title. I think probably Dilo Brown. I think there's better occasions to play Kane's music that's more worthy of such an icon. I think I'd, I agree with that because. With what I said with Devo, the way he's about to kind of slowly descend, quickly descend in the cards again for the next year, I think there are going to be a few opportunities we have to play his theme song, so I think it's a good decision. So Until next time, where I'll have a, a new goal, so I want to say thank you to Nathan, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you very much, guys. Speak to you soon. You're looking at the real deal now. Gonna kick this sorry ass out on the street. <laughs> Yeah. Bring it on. Here's a receipt. Bring it on. What you gonna do about it?